I'm Ryan, and this is You're Not Watching That, the podcast where I'm finally catching up with all those films I should have seen, but my parents wouldn't let me. Uh, so, yeah, I do it every week. You should probably know it by now if you've been listening. Hello there, Blair. Uh, we are reviewing our first comedy this week, uh, directed by John Landis. Back in 1988, we journey from Africa and the wonderful land of Zumunda to the tough streets of Queens in New York City with Prince Akeem and his loyal sidekick, Semi, in search of a wife. But of course, it's coming to America. So slap on some soul glow, grab yourself a McDowell's Big Mick, and get ready to see Eddie Murphy play about 23 parts. And let's go. We're off. Episode eight, uh, up and running and moving about. Um, talking about up and running and moving about, somebody who likes to get up, likes to be running, and likes to move around. It's uh, Eddie Murphy. No, it's Dan Fudge. Hello, Dan. Come uh, on, guys. First time, you were on mute. What? Were you on mute or what? Yeah, I was. I'm I'm not now. Oh, that was really weird. All I just heard was Oh, really? Did it yeah. take a couple of seconds? What were you doing at the start? I was talking about just, you know, telling my life story. Oh, really important stuff like, you know, real heart wrenching bits. Shall I redo it? No, fuck it. Leave it in. Let's go. Okay, that's it. That's done. That's kind of a podcasting you need to get here. We saw I just thought sometimes when we do these calls, if I did like my famous machine gun, this will probably disappear. Yeah, it does, yeah. I I had to take a step back to do um to do James Brown then like ha! oh you did a ha! okay yeah yeah um so h- how have you been Dan what have you been up to the last week have you been anywhere foreign uh foreign no um where are we what what day are we on I've been in that London this this weekend um did a um did an eighties show now those listeners out there don't know that that Ryan and I do uh, do a bit of side business hosting uh, hosting awesome. these these brunches in uh, in in the big smoke and um and ryan i don't need to tell you but i'm gonna i'm gonna do it for the benefit of the listeners that um there is a point where you get a, a, a woman of a certain age and get a certain drink inside them when all of a sudden what's considered not sexual harassment <laughs> go, goes out the window after too much prosecco like right. you know, like yep. so I you know so this particular brunch was an eighties one so I'm I'm dressed in full eighties gear I've got my choose live t shirt on and my big quiff and uh, and I had a pair of tight tight short shorts on and uh, the amount of grabbing that took place was uh, was was like the gypsy grabbing that we re- that we referenced in episode four it was uh, oh it was feral it was feral what, did they ask. No, they didn't ask. <laughs> they don't ask. Oh, my darling, can I touch your ass? No, none of that. See, I had it did the Ibiza one where that woman just went and... I went, hey, hey, come on now. Would you like it the other way around? I love it. Brilliant. Great. Wonderful. <laughs> Those are my things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Those off my things. And what was the favourite song that they played at the uh, the show that got everyone going? Um, right at the start, they do, they do pump up the jam, but it's got a few dancers that I nicknamed Rod, Jane and Freddie. Uh, through the uh, through through the show, uh, at the first show they were called Melanie and Martina. The second show they were called Rod Jane and Freddie. Nice. But um, but the weird bit is that the term Rod Jane and Freddie I thought would slay, but the as the kids say, but no. I I don't feel that people are uh, old enough. You have to be of a certain generation to specifically know who Rod Jane and Freddie were. Trust me, I drop it at work because I work in basically a thing where I'm showing people like tech of the future, and I mentioned the Jetsons in the middle of that. Yeah, she was old when I was born. You know what I mean? So it's like, do you know what? You're gonna love this. So Dan's got this thing that he loves it when I get certain lyrics to songs wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so famously, 
There's a song called Sweat. <laughs> Who's it by again? Uh, Inner Circle. Oh, of course it is. Them lads. <laughs> them them rumbuggers. And there's a bit where, for those who don't know, it goes la 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 lom, la lom, la lom, la lom, la lom, lom. It's all like, you know, I'm going to sing the whole verse. But there's a bit where it says, what are the actual lyrics, Dan? Girl, I'm going to make you sweat so you can't sweat no more, ho, ho. And I sing, Gorilla's going to make you sweat. <laughs> sweat so you can't sweat no more, ho, ho, ho. I thought it was Gorilla's going to make you sweat for about 30 years. <laughs> anyway, to add to that collection, you've just mentioned Pump Up The Jam, which I've realized yeah. is one of my other songs that I've made my own lyrics to. All right. So, can you sing me the bit where it goes, oh, uh, what's the actual words? Oh, oh uh, is it I beg to say or I beg you to stay? No, it's Get I know why Saddam Hussein fair the party. <laughs> yep. For years I sang I know why Saddam Hussein. There you go. Do you remember um do you remember the automatic uh monster? What's that coming over the yeah. hill? Hate it. Yeah. Yeah, uh, my mate's girlfriend went, what's that coming over the hill? Is it a badger? And she was singing that for like six months. And I went up north to visit him. And I went, wait, wait, sorry. Stop the song. What did you just say? She yeah. went, is it a badger? I went, the song's called Monster. What? I, sh- I can't. It, it's, it's, this song's huge. <laughs> it's not even close. <laughs> yeah. Badger. It's not even close. What's the other one? Um... Oh, God, my mate's brother used to do it all the time. Oh, the, the Cranberries. I'm such a fool for you, is what the lyrics are. Yeah. He, he went, he thought, he went, yeah, I'm such a fool crying. I was like, it's not even no. close. <laughs> <laughs> that's you and Dago Bar. That's, not, that's just, just a different word. Dago Bar. It's exactly where he's from. And we're back. Yeah, anyway. Uh, so, yeah, we watched... Um, We've watched, well, I was going to say me and my daughter, I introduced her to Star Wars the other day. All right. First time. Because she's got these pajamas. It's got little characters of them all on the cartoon characters. Who's that? And it's her big thing to go, what's that? Who's that? I went, that's Chewie, otherwise known as Chewbacca. And she's like, all right. But it's really good because she can influence how she says it straight away. And I quite like someone who drops in a Chewbacca. So I've got her saying it a bit like, Chew-. so Puss in Boots, she goes, Puss in Boots. <laughs> she doesn't, which is fucking great. Um, so watching Star Wars, it's, yeah, it's kicking off all that. Who's that? R2. I don't want to drop in the R2 D2 and C3PO. So that's 3PO. That's R2. Vader comes on the ship, doesn't he? She's like, Who's that? Well, that's Darth Vader. Why has he got that man by the neck? And then it's, you don't realize that Tatooine is quite a rum place for a two year old to get their head round. So, first of all, yeah, yeah. hours. She went, Because he, at first, he's sort of peak like that. Before they do the, you're teeny, they sort of peak. And she went, what was that? And she sort of went, what was that? Because it's peaked. I went, oh, it's a thing. And it come around again, just a little glimpse. What was that? And then when it came up, she went, stop, stop. Like, stop, dad. I like, pause it. So I paused it. And she's there looking right into its little glowing eyes. And she went, why has she done that to the robot? <laughs> she just completely wrecked her head. So then she went into the <laughs> canteen a bit. And that bloke gets his arm cut off, doesn't he? Oh, yeah, yeah. I don't like you either. All that business. Chops his arm off. And I'm trying, and Natalie's just doing her air. And I'm trying to sort of turn around. Oh, no, look at this, look over here. Because it's a bloody old arm on the floor. And she's going, why has she done that to his arm? And I'm going, oh, he's a robot. Yeah, he's uh, that's why. And God, for the next like hour, what happened to that man's arm? <laughs> I'm just, you know, when she's got this thing in the so, future. <laughs> so she got all the intric- intricacies of, uh, of you know, the political struggle and the, and the rise of the empire and, and the and the new hope that's coming through, but the main bit she took away was, Buckface lost his arm. 
Yeah, bloke lost his arm, and there's things dwelling that uh, that go utini and hurt the robots. So what the that's that's it. robot for? Yeah, why is why has he done that to robots? It's just like because yeah, he wants to sell him for parts to a moisture farmer. I don't know. <laughs> um, anyway, so we are going to get onto the film now because we've been doing uh, a few minutes. Um, so we were watching Coming to America. So as we always start with, before we go into it and all that business, I'm going to do the uh, things I knew before. The things I thought I saw. The things I knew before. So this one's funny because it turns out the things I thought I knew before weren't to do with this film, probably most probably. <laughs> So, uh, well, uh, some of them were. So, like one of them, one of them was I had this image of a Eddie Murphy film where people with that kind of like, um, what do they call? What's what's the name of the uh, the haircut they've got? It's it's uh, something curl, Jerry curl type. Yeah, thing. yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember people sitting up off a sofa having wet heads on the back of the sofa. Right, and I knew it was to do with Eddie Murphy. Um, so that turns out that was something I knew because it was in this film, but I thought it was from another film. The other one was Eddie Murphy played a few characters, but I could have got that confused with many fucking films he's done because yeah, yeah. he tends to like to show off his acting chops, doesn't he? Um, but the third one, which is almost the funniest, is the song Living in America by James Brown. <laughs> Did you think that was from this movie? Yeah. Now, I know where I've kind of confused that because I, when I was at uni, I used to have these two VHSs. Look it up, Google it. And one of them was Mike Myers' Best of Saturday Night Live, which is actually really, really quite edgy. It's quite good. Mm-hmm. Look up his character, Dieter, the German, who's... There's a bit where he says something like, this is Mike Myers, not Eddie Murphy. He goes, he's doing like home videos. Germany's most disturbing home videos, dressed in all black. And he's all very, now we're going to watch Germany's most disturbing home videos. It's all like that. And he went, and the best bit is this throwaway line where he's going, here we find the body of a tramp, which has died. In itself, it's not that disturbing. He's <laughs> like, that's fine. <laughs> you know, then we turn him over and he's got ants all over his face and he goes, ants, ants, ants. And that's it. So there's all these kind of like kooky little sketches. And I had one of Eddie Murphy as well. And it's all Eddie Murphy's best setting life stuff. One where he's the tooth fairy is hilarious. And he's on like a talk show and he's going, so what's the main problem with the tooth fairy? He said, well, how do you think you feel when like a, a black man in a tutu just walks into your room at six looking for your kid's teeth? You know, he said, how have you ever gone to God with a bag full of Tic Tacs that people have given you a set of teeth trying to get dollars from? And he's just just, he's brilliant. He's young. He's vibrant. He's really good. Um, so that's what I knew before. And I've, and in that, he does his James Brown impression, which I think yes. is where I've confused the whole thing together. And obviously, I saw a bit of Raw as well, which I'll come to in a minute. The, uh, um, the interesting you? thing about bringing Saturday Night Live into this, actually, just I'm, I'm going to get into my Richard Osman role right now, um, is that Saturday Night Live, for some reason, in the early to mid-80s, just fired everybody. They just get. They just got rid of it. It's Lawn, isn't it? Lawn Michaels. Lawn. Uh, that's right. Yeah, and um, and they just they just decided we're going to get a new ensemble. We're going to get a new cast. This is what's going to happen. And this is the post Chevy Chase megastar era that kind of turned everybody into absolute huge stars. And and that era that Eddie Murphy was in Saturday Night Live was shit. Like, was it? like they had a really poor cast, and Eddie Murphy was the standout performer. I think he was only like nineteen or twenty. Well, I he... wonder about that because I was thinking with this. So this isn't, you'll probably bring this in, Dan. I'm just jumping on because you said about the age. He says he's 21 in this film. And this is 1988. Whereas yes. he's done Beverly Hills Cop. He's done a load of those other films, Trading Places, in like early 80s. So mm-hmm. is he playing younger there than he actually really is by 1980? Yeah, he's, uh, he's, he's punching down on that one because um, the, the breakout role that he had was a movie with Nick Nolte called uh, 48 Hours, then into Trading Places. And I think is the first Beverly Hills Cop movie out by now. 
It must be. This, that uh, was about the 86. second one was just before this in 87. Actually, he's born 61, so he was actually 27 when he did this film. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, he uh, he rescued Saturday Night Live at uh, as as a program, but then went on to be a massive star afterwards. Do you know there's so much about those two VHSs in particular that I still quote to people who have got no idea what the fuck it is, right? So there's one about um, again, Mike Myers plays his character. I mean, today some of these sketches. He's a kid who's wearing a head brace and a harness, and he's been tied yeah, to yeah, a yeah. climbing frame. And there's a bit where. Um, Nicole Kidman's playing a very spoiled kid and she's always saying, oh, everyone says I'm perfect. Everyone says I'm beautiful. And he says the line, wow, you've been surrounded by a lot of positive support. And I've <laughs> said that to people at times who've been in pubs going, hey, do you know what? And then my uncle said, I had this and I've just, I've just dropped it in, you know? But the Eddie Murphy one as well, it's really good because he, he keeps playing these different characters as well in it, like um, Buckwheat to someone. He sings things all kind of wrong. Looking for mm-hmm. love in all the wrong places. He sings, he's like, looking for nerve in all the right. And I can't stop quoting a lot of Eddie Murphy. Then I saw Raw at uni, and I didn't want to see him ever again after some of his AIDS jokes, because I found them was this the Was this the one where he's dressed like Michael Jackson in Red Suit? Yeah, and he's doing, yeah, yeah, yeah. doing Stevie and all that. But he's he starts very early with some very, very strange opinions on HIV and AIDS. Yeah, it's a, it's a very 80s opinions on it. And and isn't there a bit where it, it gets talk, talked about having anal sex with Mr. T? It, it, you know, come on, we'll fall me in the ass. Like that type of thing. I'm pretty sure that's the one. There's definitely a bit where, again, if you're sensitive to this, probably close he's basically saying that you could catch HIV or, you know, full-blown AIDS from the lips of your wife who's kissed her gay boyfriend. Well, and you're going, Jesus H Christ, you know, isn't it now you just see that as a, you just be cancelled in seconds because it's wrong, abhorrent, all those kind of things. And it was a bit of a culture shock for me from watching him on his Saturday Night Live stuff. I haven't really seen many of his films, really. And go, God, the guy's hilarious. He's great to see in this where he's this hot, vibrant young comedian telling these things, which I think says probably, I don't know if I'm being unfair or fair to this, probably says less about him, but more about the time in a sense. Where yes. Yeah, I, I think, you know, it, it, it's what you call a, a easy jokes, isn't it? I bet, I bet, because this guy paved the way for, in this country, people like Lenny Henry. Mm. And had it not been for Eddie Murphy, we probably might not have had a Lenny Henry. You know, he was young. And, and well, then Chris and Rock down the line. and Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Paved the way for, for a lot of a lot of stars. And and, and like, you look, you, you look at it now and you think, <laughs> I, I think it's the attitude of the time because like AIDS was a, a huge prevalent issue back it back in the 80s so um oh here let me let me make light of it but where you essentially what they call now just spreading misinformation about it essentially and uh we weren't educated enough it, you know it, it's similar to doing similar not the same for god's sake but it's similar to to doing a misinformed joke about covid mm. back in april 2020 for example you know when we didn't it's know anything we're all just off at home yeah, Frankie Ball does it a lot. Real tell a joke or something that you know is really about a child having cancer, and no one thinks yeah. that's funny. But you do, he's doing it because it's like, well, oh, this will get the ratings up, and obviously you got hits and yeah. stuff. God knows what. But let's get to the film, Dan. When did you first watch it? Where you got your tidbits? Well, this one wasn't from my neighbour Paul Barton. It was from my other neighbour Lee Williams. He used to keep walking around Lawton Endley more than just outside Dinnington in Sheffield by using the term in his. I'll not do the accent because he used to put this African accent on, and it was the phrase "the royal penis is clean." And he thought that was the funniest thing he'd yeah. ever heard in his life. And he was like, "Fudge, you've got to come and see this film. It's like the best thing I've ever seen." How old? And I'll not. I was like, uh, I'd have been ten. The Royal and, uh, Clean walking around a, a small village in, in Yorkshire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A small mining village that was famous for its conquer trees and Highland cattle. Ooh. And uh, we were like, 
and he like the royal penis is clean. He, he, yeah, imagine how funny that is at ten at ten years old. But when I watched it, I remember thinking, this is a romantic comedy, Lee. This in this isn't as funny as that's what you think it is. You know, that's like that's like being ten and finding sleepers in Seattle funny. <laughs> Yeah, it, well, we'll come to it, I think, Dan, but I definitely, this is a this is two films in one. It's a 15 as well, which, I, I mean, I definitely wasn't going to have seen it, was I? No. Way too old for me. So did it have an impact? Did you see it again after that, or was it just watching it in a mining village and then you let it go for a bit? Yeah, I'd not seen it again for, you know, the next 30 years, and then I, through COVID, I went through a um, a renaissance. Mm. And then the, the sequel came out, so I thought I'd re-educate myself on who the characters are, who the main players are, because essentially the sequel is just a lot of doffing of the cap to the old characters. Even Arsenio Hall plays, what, two or three characters in the movie, and they're all in the sequel for no reason. You know, oh, you know okay. what I mean? Yeah, no, I... Um, fucking movie. No, I, I've all come to... Wait, oh, I've what, the second one? It's awful. I still haven't watched the second Top Gun yet. So, yeah, off the back of doing uh, Sylvester Stallone and uh, First Blood... Um, maybe we should do a few of these and just do a season of the sequels as well. Just however bad they are, go to Rocky Two, go to coming to go to Maverick, you know, and all that. See what happens. Yeah. What was Maverick's name again? Paul Dillinger or something? Paul Thompson? Yeah. Uh, Paul? I nearly said Paul Gregory, but that's a geezer who used to play football with at junior school. Honestly, um, it was about that shit. It, it was, was Paul like, Baker or something like that. It was. It was absolutely shite. Um, we're running against time in a way, but let's get rolling and say, oh, sorry, you've got any uh, little tips and stuff beforehand, Dan? I know you like to throw some of them in. I tell you what, let, let's throw them as we go. But I mean, this this one before we start, John Landis uh, had, had a bit of a stellar career at this point, uh, prior to this point, about two years prior. So we're talking, um, well, he goes on to do the thriller video, doesn't he? But then yeah. before that, we had uh, a, a meeting between Eddie Murphy and John Landis in the movie Trading Places, Not where uh, the Duke brothers place a bet that they can swap Dan Aykroyd and uh, Eddie Murphy's character around. It doesn't matter who they are, it's just what they're born into. And these two make a cameo in this movie. Hold on. Is that Randolph and Mortimer? It is Randolph and I Mortimer. Thought they were from... Oh, God, this is going to sound, sound bad, but I've written that down. I was going to say, I knew who they were. They were from Brewster's Millions. No, they fucking <laughs> weren't. <laughs> no, they weren't. They were from Trading Places. Shame. And, um, yeah, Ra- Randolph and Mortimer in that. But the um, it, they kind of created, before Marvel did it, the Eddie Murphy cinematic universe as, as, as it were right. but the interesting thing about about the um the relationship between landis and eddie murphy is that when they did trade in places murphy was a virtual unknown and it kind of made his career landis was in charge and by the time 48 hours and the first um beverly hills cop movie had come out the the dynamic had changed the paradigms of their relationship had changed so so essentially what's happened is they had a tear upon set and it was Murphy that gave Landis the job because Murphy was going to direct it himself. And then when this is a lot of work, I'm doing six characters already. Let's get Landis in. Mm. And, um, and Landis's career was on its ass. It was, it was done because I don't know if you ever remember or reading about this, but in the, there was a twilight zone movie. Yeah. And uh, one of the extras and one of the stuntmen had died. There was like a, a whole room deal about the whole thing. And, um, and he was, and so his career was kind of teetering until he got thrown this bone by uh, by Eddie Murphy. That was a big tip, bit, wasn't it? I mean, Eddie Murphy wrote the story for this. Uh, yeah. So I was concerned at first because obviously we've done enough 80s films where there's been, you know, women being treated this way or there's been treated yeah. that way. And now I kind of, I sort of threw this around the table the other day at work and I work with people of all different sort of races, ages, God knows what. And I said about, oh, I'm watching... Uh, coming to America soon. And like my mate Dave, who's from like Watford, he was like, 
you'll find it very interesting. And I sort of mouthed to him, is it a bit racist? And Dave went, it's okay. He said, we loved it back in the day. Uh, Dave is a, is a gentleman who is, is black. And he said to me, no, it's uh, it's all right. He said, it's a bit, yeah, looking back. Do you know what I mean? Now I'm going to come okay. to that because because it being an Africa into America, and obviously I see it always from a British point of view and the way that we sometimes, I, I do you know what? I see the UK as a place where almost most people I know who are black will tell you all their, the love, the origin thing is really important because of course it is. We all know where we're from. Like, oh, I'm proud to be Jamaican. You know, my mum's got, you know, cooking from here or this from there or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like with Africa, you know, I'm a proud Nigerian heritage, stuff like that. Uh, America, I don't know. I don't know how they do it. Obviously, I know about the civil rights movement, about Martin Luther King, all the kind of stuff they went through and how fucking atrocious some of that was, even back to the Civil War. So I was kind of wanting to see 1980s America's ideals on Africa because I think weirdly the UK has a closer tie to Africa than America. Okay. Go on, will you jump in on that then? Were you going to say something? I, I must admit, I was, I was genuinely like, I, I was trying to listen to see if there's anything we needed to edit out, but I think you did really well. That was, uh, there was a very warts and all frank discussion about well, it. And I, and, I, and I kind of agree. So, so what, we, what we have at the start of this movie, uh, you know, the, this, this entire, it's lampooned really well in the movie Team America. Uh, where there's a there's a shot of Paris and everything's just all in one place, like the towers next to the lot, the Triomphe, and it's just the way that Americans perceive Paris, right? Oh, yeah. And and what we have at the beginning is a load of white guys going, "This is probably what Africa's like," you know what I mean? Let's just get that out. But in terms of the mu- the movie itself, this is a a black cast. It's a black romantic comedy, mm. and. It, this was hugely innovative and hugely new at the time, and it became it made 129 million at the box office in the U, in the US alone. It's not like a it's not like a, a Pam Greer film from the 70s where it's black protection yeah. stuff or, you know, like James Earl Jones been in plenty of those films back in the day. Mm-hmm. If you ever see the Vader sessions, some of the quotes he's using from those films are from like back in the day, old sort of. Not anyone really watching them. It was white, probably put it that way. Uh, so this is kind of a mainstream thing, isn't it? It's seen more. I remember that one with Jamie Fox in it, and somebody else was two lads basically just trying to get laid or something like that. And that felt like another similar kind of caper type thing of that kind of origin. But this, it was the start, especially when it came in. I just wrote down Lion King, Black Panther. Now there's a reason why I think that's quite interesting, really, is because the Lion King was obviously you know predominantly Africa in the middle of a Disney film, which was a big thing. But Black Panther is obviously absolutely just knocking boundaries out left, right, and centre, and how amazing it was. This has actually got that weirdly. I expected it to be sort of weirdly more archaic, and I know you've got that painted palace when it comes close mm-hmm. to it. It's obviously the background, which actually looks like Brighton Pavilion actually when it's inside some of yeah. it similar. Um, but realistically, it does sort of align with two of the films that I say are very key towards Africa as well, which is Black Panther and Lion King. This that kind of intro, do you know what I mean? The way it's bringing it in, the music, which I think was Nile Rogers as well of all people. Yes, it was. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there you go. So yeah, any uh, so you you thought that the actual painting, painted palace and all that kind of stuff was very much a colonial almost view on Africa in some sense. Yeah, it was like ah, oh, they probably like this. Let's just let's just chuck it in, pal. Like you know what I mean? It 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 didn't seem to have much authenticity or did its homework. You know, like when you see, I think you know, have we spoken about any? martial arts movies where they oh like yeah, when we did big trouble in little china and, oh, yeah. and they just went oh this looks oriental let's chuck it in and it had very much that that type of vibe around around that bit well it actually you know? it, the thing it reminded me of most in the palace was the remember the time video by michael jackson which, <laughs> yeah, set. well i know yeah same probably same set same bit whether that was meant to be egypt wasn't it um but i've also written four minutes 50 boobs yep needless boobs 
we're in. And do you know what? I know Eddie Murphy is meant to be kind of that he's sort of a cheeky chappy, isn't he? He's all that kind of stuff. That's kind of the way he's well, not like in the 1920s, like, oh, I tell you what, I saw a woman the other day. You know, not that kind of cheeky chappy. Where's my washboard? But he's a little bit suggestive. He's not openly sexual with it, but he kind of is. Some of his characters allow him to be that. And he has four minutes fifty and he's got a woman with a top off. And then you've got the joke about the penis. The royal penis is clean, your highness. Four minutes fifty. And we're in. Yeah. And I kind of yeah. went, I must admit, I kind of went. Oh no, you know, but it's not actually that much because, as I, as I said, this film, the some people adore the bit of the palace and all the African stuff because they think it's very Eddie Murphy in this, and then it just become a rom com, becomes a different film completely. Yeah, did you not feel that that first five minutes when you had those type of jokes kind of set a tone that it wasn't, it wasn't that type of movie? Yeah, no, completely. It was almost. I, do you know what I liked? I wrote down his name here. The guy who played Oha, the bigger chap who starts singing all the songs about the Queen and stuff and all that. And he's he's you're thinking, okay, I've got the the cut of the land, you know, the the sorry, the lay of the land now. This chap's going and stuff like that. And then you hardly ever see him until the end when he pops back in. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the Eddie Murphy's accent as well. Oh no, it's a few. I'll do it in the order I've got. So a bit looks like Brian Pavilion. I was like penis and boob jokes. Okay, I didn't think that the royal penis. You know, I kind of like that kind of tied in with some of the humor I knew from his Saturday Night Live stuff. And then uh, Vader rocks up. And like the thing is, as a massive Star Wars fan, I cannot on hear James Hill Jones as everything he's saying being Darth Vader. Yeah. For those yeah, yeah. Every time. YouTube. Every time. The voice of Darth Vader. Uh, but it's like, the, uh, but he's a, you know, you should be doing that. It is probably not going to be picked up. What are you doing doing that, Hakeem? It's just like, Jesus Christ. It's just like his voice is so strong. But he's covered yeah. in biscuits or what would be probably a ceremonial ceremonial jewels. But they didn't half look like bourbons and custard creams to me, which actually took my eye off a little bit because I was uh, longing for some sugar. Um, but the, the reason I bring him up key for a couple of reasons, not only do I think James Earl Jones is absolutely fantastic, but it was trying to pick out the accents because, you know, Brits are pretty good at either going, we're very British, we're evil, or generally do accents. Whereas yeah. the Americans, I don't tend to. You have your George George Clooney do anything other than a brother where art thou when he does his own. And Eddie Murphy's got a very strange accent in this. He very much, I think, picks and chooses when he wants to be African. Yeah, he drops in and out of it quite quite a lot all the way through it, doesn't he? And uh, and and you kind of think just speak. Uh, they call it Mid Atlantic. The this it, it was a it was a language that came out around the eighties where you didn't sound British but you didn't sound American. So it's all like you use like Lewis Hamilton. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it but do it the other way. Because Lewis Hamilton's trying to be American, but yeah. do it American trying to be British, but don't do a British accent, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, no, it was it was actually it threw me a little bit at the start. And then every time he spoke, it kind of got me again. I kept going, oh, bloody, oh, all right, okay. So, because, you know, because especially when he's not wearing all the garb and everything, it's a bit hard to get him on. There's a bit where he says something about, his dad says a line that actually did, did, did amuse me. He went, I once tied my own shoes. And let me tell you, it was an overrated experience. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was quite good. I thought some of the writing was, it's about like what I've said to you before about The Simpsons, right? And I guess friends as well. Some people might not tie the two together. If I'm in and I'm in a certain mood, I can chuck on Friends or The Simpsons and it will make me sort of just curl my mouth a bit at times and go, oh, it's just like a safe space. And the humor with this never made me laugh out loud. Uh, there was one bit, actually, I'll come to that later on, the Reverend Brown later on. But um, it just generally, it was just kind of a, oh, <laughs> you know, okay. And then um, we've got um, Arsenio Hall coming on. Mm -hmm. uh, thoughts on that, man? Because I just thought he looked like, for me, a, a black man who is also Tim Curry. Because I thought they've got the same face. 
they, they do have similar features, don't they? Uh, Arsenio Hall is one of them that didn't really make it as a, as a huge name out of the States. He had a huge show. It was this massive, the show that he had, the chat show that he had. Made the Arsenio Clinton, Hall. Say again. Did you know about it making Bill Clinton? Uh, yes, yes, because he uh, he came on. This is where we first saw him play saxophone or something it like was, that, didn't we? And his ratings went through the roof. Yeah, so it's because That's right. of, it's because of our man Semi that Bill became yeah. what he was, blowing his horn or whatever. Anyway, it's jokes there. Yeah, go on, Dan. Well, I think I think they're casting really well. I I think I you know he he should have done more, but for some reason didn't. And uh, but I, I don't know. He, he just didn't have an international appeal like uh, like Eddie Murphy did. No, he for me actually, I think he's the best one in it. I mean, James Earl Jones just mm. does that, that buttery smooth, that, that dark voice so well. But yeah, for me, his character has got more to it. And, and I would probably argue as well, I preferred his other characters as well, but we'll come to that in a minute. Um, there was a moment when I, and I brought up Saturday Night Live before, or sorry, Raw, I think it was, um, because there's a bit where Oha, the bigger chap, sings about the queen coming down, going, she's your queen, and all this. And there is a line where I kind of don't mind a bit of that humor sometimes when people say something ridiculous in the middle of something else, but he does say the line, she's free of infection. <laughs> and like, and I'm kind of going, yeah, I get it that in this sort of very staid ceremonial situation, that's a funny thing to say, but instantly my mind went to Eddie Murphy going, I bet he's put that in. Like he was thinking about that other stuff. Can't help himself. Can he? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? That got me a bit, but there's also, it happened twice, actually. I wrote it down once because I'm a big fan of the Rocky Horror Show and, and I mentioned Tim Curry. There's mm-hmm. a, a bit where I think, if I remember rightly, Brad and Janet have just had their clothes. They're all wet from the rain. They've had their clothes took off and they're there just in their underknackers. And there's a bit where Tim Curry's just like mincing about a bit and he sort of looks down, up and down at Brad in his kegs and sort of looks at the camera and goes, mm, I'm nice. He just does like a, mm. he like breaks the fourth wall, whatever it is, you know, he breaks through. Yeah, yeah. Mm, yeah. And he does a lot of looks to camera. Eddie Murphy did one of these. I think it's yep. when someone's either tying his shoe or going down. There's something like going down or something like that. And he sort of looks like a, hey up. And I thought it only happens once more in the film. Yeah. Don't know if you can remember where it is or I've come to it. If not, cause I've written it down, but it's definitely something where it's weird when someone breaks sort of a, the way a film is made only once and it doesn't really happen again. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's a uh, it's a John Landis uh, thumbprint. Oh, is you, it? You, yeah, it happens in Trading Places. It happens in a good number of uh, of John Landis movies where they look directly into the camera, break the fourth wall, raise an eyebrow, and they carry on what they're doing. But there's no reference to it. It kind of makes it meta, or is it? <laughs> you know? Well, it happens twice in this, and the second one is a very different character doing it. But again, we'll come to it. So story-wise, I know I normally tell a little bit for those who've not seen it, see if they're into it. Basically. This place called Zamunda, and he's the prince. He's got to get married to a woman. He doesn't want to get married. There's a big old show with loads of amazing costumes, a lot of wonderful. Paula Abdul. What? She choreographed that entire routine, the big, the big routine. And so, you know, the uh, what's the hair product that they have to keep? Oh, that's Soul Glow. Soul Glow, right? So Paula Abdul, uh, you know, she choreographed that this, this big African dancing routine. And uh, the, the dancers kept slipping over, so they had to get well, I don't think it's, it's not soul glow in real life, but they had to get hair lacquer to spray it onto the floor to kind of make it a little bit sticky for the dancers to stop falling on their ass. And then she ended up dancing with a cat. Yeah, do taking two steps forward and one step back. I, I like the bit in that song. For those who don't know, it's called Opposites Attracted, isn't it? With its, who is it? It's her and 
Cool. All right, cool. Uh, JJ Coolcat or something is called, isn't he? What's it? Oh, God. I'm, are you going to Google it for me while I'm trying to I'm I'll talk my way out of it? Have a Google while I tell you some more right. interesting facts. So, uh, Paula Abdul uh, during this time was a ex LA Lakers cheerleader and for some reason was, was plucked from obscurity to, to make it big. And when she uh, released the other song straight up, uh, Arsenio Hall is in that is in that uh, music video. What's the cat called, Raz? Opposite tried to sung by American singer Paula Abdul from her debut album. Actually, just interestingly, she did a song also called Rush, I think it was called. And I remember yep. being a kid and my mate, my dad had a mate and he had a younger brother. So I think probably in the early 20s, looking back how old I was. And his mate said something like, in front of me, God, she makes me horny. And I remember my dad or someone going, hey, help, in front of the kid. <laughs> Always remembered it from that moment. Um, but it was written and produced by Oliver Lieber. But, 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 uh, but the other vocals were provided by Bruce DeShazer and Marv Gunn, also known as the Wild Pair. Where's the bloody cat, though? Music video. Uh, it doesn't. Oh, MC Scat Cat. <laughs> MC Scat Cat. So That's he's into it. some mucky poo sex as well. That's it. The, the bit I do like. The bit about that bit is just like, I don't, to Joe, I don't like cigarettes. And then he goes, I like to smoke. It's just like, <laughs> what a hilarious. Right. So years ago, my mum was doing some what they call costume characters at Butlins. Look it up for those from, not from the UK. Uh, she created these characters based on sort of mine and my sister's childhood toys and stuff and needed a theme tune for it for these things called the forget-me-nots. And I wrote it and sang it. And there's just a bit where it went, coconut the monkey is so full of fun, or a bit like that. And it was just the way that I just thought, what the fuck am I singing? <laughs> I was getting paid for it. <laughs> but like in that, I thought the same way, I don't like cigarettes. And he's just in the shoe going, I like and to I smoke. Like it's just like a really... <laughs> It gets me. Uh, but at least it wasn't coming to America by James Brown, otherwise I'd have got that wrong. Um, so, yeah, they go to America. He's been forced into marriage, goes over to meet a lady, or so is Wild Oats for 40 days. That made me think yes. of, uh, if we had to go and do that, that we won't bring that up because we like to keep the relationships. So they decide to go to either New York or LA, and they choose New York, and then what area of New York do they choose, Dan? They look for Queens. Queens. They're looking for a queen and they move to Queens. Now, I didn't know this, but apparently Queens is a right shit hole. Yeah, apparently it's rum. So, oh, uh, yeah, or was. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think this is the bit where I'm going to have to speak this up. I know it's going to be here all day, but I think there's going to be a bit, you know, when um, I think also, Semi, isn't it? Our senior horse character. I think Semi is the most believable of this bit because it absolutely corrupts him being in Queens, which I which I really enjoy. And yeah. then we get the, uh, the comic relief uh, uh, mega trope of the uh, the angry landlord, don't we? We get the angry landlord. We get people nicking stuff. We get all that kind of business. They've turned up in Queens with all this kind of like luggage that looks like um, oh god, what is it? Dior and God knows what, and Gucci and whatnot. Louis Vuitton. No, I mean the bit. bit of, actually, Dan, we're doing all right. We're nearly halfway through, and what I've put in a barbershop scene. So oh, those god. of you with a certain vintage, there was a thing in called Desmond's. Yeah. Which used to be on, I, again, never wasn't allowed to watch it, but I knew it was on, go, coming on Channel 4, Desmond's, which was a similar vibe, wasn't it? Did you ever watch Desmond's? I need to, uh, I, 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 t I tell you what it is, there is something, I mean, you know, you, listening to this, you can hear that Ryan and I are two, two middle-aged white men, right? And, um, and there was a period during the 50s, uh, the 60s, 70s, and, and the 80s, and early 90s, where... Um, Going to a barbershop as a as a black man was 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 a, a social event. Going to a 
and at what they called then an Afro barbershop. And it was a social event. That's why you, you try and see these mega trendy places. Oh, we're going to sell beer. We're going to do this. So people would sit because of the way that uh, African-American people's hair grew. Like They were there quite regular and they have a loyalty to their barbers. And, and, it, and it became, like I say, like going to the pub like we would as, as 20-year-olds, that type of thing. And Desmond's kind of tapped into that. It was a Channel 4 comedy, wasn't it, that, that, that came on late. And, and again there would be these same characters in this same shop who, I mean, Port Pie in that show, never had his hair cut in his life, didn't look at him. Um, but for some reason that, that you know, that's that's the way it were, it, it just was. And I, I feel it probably, yeah, it probably came out, of, born out of, you know, uh, apartheid and um, and segregation and, and, and things such as that, that these were safe spaces for, for African-American people. And, and it still is a, a community thing now, which I find, I found absolutely fascinating. And watching this movie the first time, I didn't really know that. And, no, and I kind of learned about it. I remember when I was living in New Cross, which is obviously, you know, it's predominantly very sort of uh, black areas at will and things like that. And you did see it on the Sundays when you see like people getting dressed for church and stuff. And you see a lot of the uh, sort of, I guess, mums. I always say mums in what were called Nigerian outfits. Because I know some of my mates would be like, you know, there's massive, beautiful, coloured clothing. And I'd be so jealous of some of those barber shops where the lads are sitting chewing the fact they've got Sky Sports on, yeah. but I just didn't have a need for a tram line, you know, or, yeah, some, yeah. That, or some cut that would have been able to be, I would have just looked rubbish. But I must say, with my barber now in Brighton, who I've known, you know, one of my best mates for t- over 10 years. There is a bit of that, which is is blokes mm. just sitting around behind you chatting, or you're saying, "Oh, what's how's things with Sharon? All right, okay. Oh, bloody, you should have left her years ago." And it kind of reminded me of that in this is a thing that as a kid it was just a bowl on your head and cut, and God knows what. But these are real characters in here, obviously played by. There's a, I don't know who the third guy is because two of them, obviously, okay, I say third guy. There's four of them. And we're going to come to Eddie Murphy playing a Jew in a minute. Um, but we've got him and we've got Mr. Hall, haven't we? And then we've got another chap. I don't know who the other chap is. And maybe it's because of the, uh, I'm going to have to look it up, aren't I? Who's the other yeah. actor who's in the bar? Oh, my God. I, I just looked up and it's Cuba Gooding Jr. No, it's not. Yes. He's the boy the, getting the, his he's the, young, he's the younger man getting his hair cut, yeah. Didn't realize that. Okay. So I don't know who the other chap is, but you've got um you've got Eddie Murphy and you've got Arsenio playing the two of the barbers. And then there's a Jewish bloke sat in there, isn't there, who's white, who is Eddie Murphy. Yeah. Now that again is a thing I'd seen him do in Saturday Night Live. He does a bit where he's just like on a bus and he's like saying, Oh, come and see my wife. And he's doing this kind of like twisting it all on its head. And like Personally, I, I remember reading something online about this at the time I was looking at it. And some little bloody old imagine if this was the other way around. What you mean like the black and white minstrels? You mean like all dressing up like I have got no problem with anyone taking the piss out of a white person after the crap that people have been put through or black. You know what I mean? And and do you know what? It was good. Well, it's very I, good. I, I wouldn't have known. If I hadn't seen him in the one foot, I wouldn't have known that was him. No, I, I I thought I thought I thought it was good. I thought it was funny. And and apparently what they did when they put those prosthetics onto him. Uh, he stayed in character the whole time. It was like a, as soon as he put that mask on, all of a sudden he was that character. Now, and looking through it through today's eyes and the, you know, and the, and the trials and tribulations that that each each group have had. If if you belong to such a group, for example, in this case we're talking about Jewish people or black people, you know, there there would be some absolute outcry on it. Mm. I, I believe there would be. But back then. Somebody would go. Was that a good performance? Yes, it was. You know, I, I and, and and I can't. I'm of that age where I'm like, but the performance is really good. But I get, I, I understand it. I tend to get a lot of splinters on my ass when it comes to a lot of these conversations. If I'm honest, no, I'm the same because I, I feel that 
when I think of certain films that mean stuff to me and whatever they are, and did I as a kid see me in them as a white kid? Did I see a white character or stuff like that? And like we said, this phrase is about representation of what you see in films is whether you can sort of join to it or link into it. You know, you see kids today watching um, John Boyega in a Star Wars film, you know, Daisy Ridley mm-hmm. headlining it, you know, before it was just a load of white dudes. And it's just like, mm-hmm. you can see a black kid and you can see a woman in those roles. It's empowering. And it makes you believe in a way that, you know, I do I think I'm a racist person? Absolutely not. Do I look at someone and judge them because of that? Absolutely not. But at the same time, I think that you always can be educated by it and try and imagine what somebody else would have seen it as, you know, mm-hmm. in the UK or in America. Because, for instance, there's a bit here, we're going to get down the line a bit, where Daryl, the boyfriend, drops in, coming to him later on. He's mm-hmm. pretty racist to Eddie Murphy in terms of the African comments. Mm-hmm. And it's just kind of like, well, he's the bad guy in the film. You know, we don't, it doesn't have to just be a white chap being that way back to be a racism thing. It can be from anywhere that you're actually knocking this guy for being African and almost saying that he's backwards to you as an American. You know what I mean? I'd, I'd never seen anything like that before I watched this movie. I had never seen people of a marginalized community having a, a separate type of, um, a tiering system in a way yeah like that like the other tiering system I, I was trying discrimination like the discrimination within the group which yeah. you know what i mean which i found absolutely fascinating as a kid i'd never seen it before and that oh. was and stuff i learned a lot from this movie as a kid and i learned a lot as a as a, as a grown-up i i thought i mean i've seen it in india i've seen it with different things when i've been out there working where i've seen people who are you know, to all intents and purposes, we look at them as white people would go, well, they're Indian, right? And then there'll be someone serving them who's either slightly darker skinned or something like that. And there's a caste system and stuff like that. And they're just really horrible to them. You're like, you're really nice a second ago. Mm-hmm. So there's going to be that all between that as well. And you can imagine this situation happening where there's Daryl, he will come, let's say, come to him properly in a minute. And he's like the boy about town. He's a rich kid's son. He's American. And there's this lad come over from Africa. He's exotic and he doesn't know him. And hey, what's his story and all this kind of business. So, you know, all that kind of shit obviously just trickles down wherever you do. But he, I've actually written down here, coming up here, is a soul glow is what he wears on his hair to have that look, which is very sort of Rick Jamesy to me, very, um, who else is that? Prince. Dupage. Oh, lovely. Yeah, but it's, that was obviously the bit that I didn't know of that hair. And I mean, I mean, I didn't know, you know, my hair's unruly enough as it is anyway, but my God, having spoken to some of my mates who've got to do either with afros and God knows what, there's a lot of work goes into that down with combs and God knows what. So I uh, I quite liked my insight into that with the barber shop and also with the uh, the soul glow, which I think was nicely mocked. It was almost like, you know, that's a cool look, but we're also mocking it a bit of soul glow there. Yeah, the the, the kind of is, isn't there? Because, you know, it, it became it became a huge thing in the 80s. You had, you had black people ironing their hair and relaxing the curls. And and, and like I said, Debarge, even Michael Jackson could, you know, w- would be accused of, of using it. But, you know, he, he's a, he's an enigma shrouded in a controversy, isn't he? So, you know, people oh, don't tend to... Yeah, yeah, I believe so. I mean, mean that, yeah, he was very black as a little boy and then became completely... Oh, incredible story. Yeah, yeah. Um, Shamon. Uh, so then you've got Arsenio in drag at one point chatting to Eddie Murphy, which I was like, well, I quite like him anyway. He seems a bit spicy. I like a bit of that. But then he turns into the preacher, which I think is called Reverend Brown. I think I've got that right. I didn't quite catch the full name. I'm going to press it on here. He was semi, extremely ugly girl, and Reverend Brown and Morris is obviously Boris is Morris is the guy inside the barber shop. I quite like him in the barber shop actually. I think he's he's got that we've got we've got a big teeth in and stuff like that. There's a good back and forth there. I mean, to try and take on Eddie Murphy in a scene like that is you're going to need to bring your A game. And I think he handles himself really well. Well, weirdly, Eddie Murphy is almost more Eddie Murphy as the old chap in the barbershop than he is in the main character. 
Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, he is. Yeah, stand up and stuff. He's more like kind of quick fire, kind of you know shit going like that. Um, I love the preacher. I love the creepy preacher who's looking at the girls' bums and he's like, "That's from God. That's from God. That is." <laughs> it's just like <laughs> so creepy. And he reminds me of that guy who spoke at Michael Jackson's funeral for absolutely ages. I think it was uh, Reverend Sharpton or something. Oh, that went on, didn't it? At the uh, oh, uh, Jesus and yeah. I'll, I'll tell you what, you know, you think about Michael Jackson's death and you think about the burial and the concert. And I remember mm-hmm. uh, Usher doing a really dramatic touch towards the that. coffin. Like like we were supposed to believe that his dead body was actually, you know, deteriorating oh. in, in that coffin, in that room full of people. But the entire overarching thing of it all was live from the Staples Centre. You're yeah. like, can't you call it somewhere else for the day, Staples? Like, do you mind if we just... You know what I mean? One of the biggest, most famous people in the world has died. Yeah. And and uh, you've got to get the branding in. You know what I mean? Well, the one that got me was I'm a massive Stevie Wonder fan as well. And I didn't realize till around that time Stevie has sung at Marvin Gaye's funeral, James Brown's funeral, Michael Jackson's funeral. I think Whitney's. He's like the angel of death for all mm. these absolutely magic stars. But when he starts dropping in a bit of, I couldn't help, I can't help it, which one of my favorites from off the wall. And then he does, uh, I never thought you'd leave in summer. And he does a bit of, uh, I, uh, they won't go when I go. And he goes, Michael, please don't go when you go. And I'm like, oh my God, I was in bits. It, oh, it killed me. Stevie absolutely killed me. So I don't know who singer it is. Probably going to be bloody Usher. You know, <laughs> anyway, so we come to music here with Randy Watson and Sexual Chocolate. What a character. I honestly, my absolute favorite bit of the movie. This I can't remember what song he sings. I didn't write it down. I have to look it up. But he sings it badly. I know that. Oh no, he sings it. I believe the children are a future. He sings greatest love of all. That's right. Yeah, and they all yeah, yeah. hate him in the church. It's so funny. It is so so funny. Um, the yeah, the the song. Hang on, I'm I'm, I'm just googling it as we speak, so I'm just treading water. Greatest but, love yeah. of all. It's greatest love of all. It, it was the greatest love of all. But the the way he kind of does that shoulder back and that kind of that, that kind of yeah. look and the hair is apt. I found it hilarious. And I, you know, even now as a grown up, I didn't know if I was allowed to laugh at it, but I genuinely found it really funny. Of course you are, because it's uh, it's just another one of those crazy characters he's dropped in. Then uh, I'm speeding along slightly. We'll get there. But then we meet the uh, the girl of his dreams. He's got his eyes on our Lisa. And her dad, who I thought was absolutely wonderful. I've seen him in loads of things before. Um, oh God, I've lost his bloody name, haven't I? Where is he? The father, the father. Where's all the cast? This is really Is bad. it John Amos? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Is he still alive? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So so John Amos, there's there's a there's a bit of just skipping forward to the end, and I'll, I'll come back to it, where uh, Darth Vader goes in and, and the entire royal family go into his house, and he gets this line where he says uh, something like, if you keep talking bad about my daughter, the original line was supposed to be, I'll drop you like third period French, or I'll, you know, I'll, I'll drop you like a football yeah. or something like that. But what he says is something like, I'm going to break my foot up in your royal ass. <laughs> <laughs> which which I really enjoyed, yeah. McDowell's, which is nowhere rip on the old uh, McDonald's there. I, with a, with I, a big I, Mike Burger. I don't know how they got away with that. I was going to say. And they said, get, get through to the girl through the father, not the hair. That was a great line. I thought it was wonderful because he wants to have the same hair, doesn't he? Now, here's my uh, Ryan's person in the background. Uh, and it is a poodle. 
So the, uh, Lisa has a sister called Patrice, and she's got this poodle, and he's just all right. There wasn't that many going on because there was either so many people in the African bit where I was like, I couldn't really pick anyone out really to be my sort of person in the background. But her poodle's just got some pretty sweet moves and then goes at Daryl as well at the end. So it's a bit of a weak one this week. So I hope you'll forgive me uh, about that. And I'll try and very quickly try and move it over to talking about our Daryl. Now, why do I recognize him? Have I seen him in a lot of other stuff? And why? I mean, some of the stuff at that, but I say that basketball game is just horrific, isn't it? The basketball game. I don't remember. Yeah, they go and see basketball. So the sister is a double date with Lisa and Akeem. That's right. Yes. They're like a a beta couple, don't they? Like you've got like, they're the alpha couple and they're the beta couple. And they're like, they're like just catching each other's eye on it. That type of thing. Yeah. And he's just, he's just, do you know what he reminded me of? He reminded me of uh, Glenn Goulia. And he will it drop. Glenn Goulia. Glenn Goulia. (laughs) You know, Glenn Goulia. I just keep saying the name. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah, now you've said it three times. I know exactly what you mean. Uh, he, he's going to marry a woman called Julia Gulia. Does that help? What is happening? <laughs> In The Wedding Singer with Adam right. Sandler, Drew Barrymore's character is called Julia. And the bloke right. she's going to marry who's obnoxious is called Glenn Gulia. And he goes, you're going to be called Julia Gulia. Right? Brilliant. So anyway, Glenn is a knobhead. He reminds me of Daryl. It's basically the same sort of story where he's in love with a girl who's with an absolute dickwad. Yeah, but that, like I, again, he's he's one of those that's portrayed as like the bad guy. But at least at least this guy does become a little bit obnoxious, and he, he does say some little, he does say some things where you go, "Oh, I don't like him," but he doesn't actually do anything that bad, does he? Like uh, you know, like um, we don't put money in the tray, and it says it was him who put the money in the tray. In the uh, yeah, yeah, they, they needed they needed to make him dislikable because you know there's obviously going to be a point where people are going to go like, "Well, she's just effed him off for this geezer." That's a bit out of order, isn't it? They need to they need to bad him up, don't they? Yeah, yeah, and he's and then Samuel L. Jackson drops in and starts getting ready to motherfucking shoot the place up. Motherfucker. <laughs> I that get was one my, of his first roles, was it? I was wondering if that's what got him the roles down the line in Pulp Fiction and stuff because it was very Samuel L. I'm going to shoot every motherfucking that we're off. <laughs> Who the fuck is this asshole? <laughs> and old Daryl's just hiding behind some woman and going, yeah, I would have helped you, but I had a coffee in my hand or some shit like that. Um, yeah, and then the dad likes that. And the dad then says something about, I need to keep my African connection working for me. I've been working at the party. And you're like, Jesus Christ, it's still going on. So that, uh, that party, interesting sidebar, uh, that party was one of the last things that they filmed. Um uh, it's, it, it's the one where Eddie Murphy's working the party, isn't it? He's working behind the bar, and uh, yeah, um, what's called Semi's just doing the cars and the valentines. That's right. Yeah. So what they did, <laughs> so Eddie Murphy and John Landis have already had this tear up, and they they need to move the entire production to Los Angeles to do the interior shots, and this is the final bit. Now, Nostradamus had predicted that the California was going to fall into the sea on a Friday. Oh yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So they needed to finish Eddie on the Thursday because he'd watched some program about Nostradamus's prediction. No shit. And so he says, I'm not working Friday, get in the bin. So he left, right? He, he finished his bits on Thursday. So a lot of what you see in that shot is either split screen or just a few bits of Eddie just raising an eyebrow or going, uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> you know? I didn't notice it, so it can't have been that awful with it. But mm. um, there's a bit in this where, you know, you, you find out the little scenes for us, the little uh, audio clips. The Reverend mm-hmm. Brown's coming back and he's and they get engaged because Daryl's on the dirty and said he's gonna tell everyone that they're getting engaged without asking her. And he says something like, um, 
Oh, the Lord. He said he, he put, um, oh, God, as he says, this one, he gave Moses the tablets. He gives so and so this. And then he just does this ridiculous voice. He said, like, um, and he helped Gilligan get off the island. And he <laughs> killed me. He's just, you gotta go, Gilligan. And he just, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> if you can find that one done, that'd be great. It sounds a little yeah, simple. I'll, I'll, I'll just make it all that right now. Help Gilligan, get off the island, Lord. Um, so then he takes Lisa to Queens. There's a bit of fun going on there because she's fallen out with him. And obviously, he's, I mean, he's a little bit Top Gun here. He's playing a bit of a movie. He just basically comes to try and find himself a woman and a wife. Mm-hmm. And he does start saying, I love you pretty soon. I mean, I don't know how long he's been sweeping floors in her dad's McDonald's, but... And I guess we've got a film to go through. You can't just like take ages to do it. But Mike, there is a bit of a creepy element to this. I've come here to try and take one of your women. Yeah, I, I, it, I don't know. I, you know, I, I would I be treading on a culture's toes by by appropriating this, or was there an amount of time that wasn't, you know, that wasn't uh, wasn't covered in what you'd call a montage? Well, Dan, uh, he's, 40, he's there for forty fucking days, and he hasn't gone home yet, so it's within forty days. Mm-hmm. And it's like come over here and uh, and live with me, like you know what I mean. <laughs> Yeah, because we've got all the stuff going on with Semi just buying stuff in the flat, isn't he? And he I do quite like the uh, the bloke who, the landlord who's doing the whole thing. Of, yeah, you can have my flat. And he just doesn't understand why they want to live in a shithole, which I think is just such I, just, I, I love it when uh, when James L. Jones turns up and goes, well, who are you? <laughs> he's just sat in the jacuzzi and he's like, what, what do you want? <laughs> and then obviously I see Randolph and Mortimer just on the streets. Again, I think we're going to come and do trading places. So probably don't ruin it for me, but I'm guessing things don't end well for them in that film if they're now on the fucking streets. I didn't well, realize you know, going to ruin it. It's it's inferred, but I don't. I, you know, it's definitely not the crux of the movie. Is tra- is trading places a good one? It's one of my absolute faves. All right, we'll try and knock that one down the line. I can't do it straight after. Uh, so the truth comes out about who he is, and the sister kind of ruins it because the sister's wanting to bang her prince, and she and she's banging him, and he says he's a prince, old um, semi. I keep saying semi because I always think I go to say Arsenal as his name is Arsenio, and I keep thinking yes. I'm getting that wrong. So I'm going to Arsenio. Uh, so and then basically what happens when the king turns up and there's all rose petals being dropped on the floor and all that kind of shit is I've written down total farce o'clock with crossed yep. wires. Yep. Yep, absolute ridiculous. Again, it's it's like lost, where if there's just a frank and normal conversation, everything would be okay. But there's just fluffery buffery for no reason. I mean, there was bits of it where I genuinely thought, I'm glad you said that. There's a bit where I said, because sometimes he, some people don't get the message in a film, like you say, it frustrates you when you just say, just tell him he's a prince, whatever it is. Yeah. He's saying that. And then it's a bit where she's left before, you know, and he set the wrong wire about, oh, he's come here to sow his oats. No, no, that's not why he was there, really. He was there to find a woman of more substance than the ones who just agreed with everything he said in Africa. Do you know what I mean? So that, and do you know what? It's always going to happen in films that it's it, Romeo and Juliet. They were doing it in 1600s. Mm-hmm. 1500s. Where he's kind of done that thing where he's gone. She's poised. She's gone to sleep, hasn't she? And he wakes up, thinks he's dead, therefore kills himself. Then wakes up. You know, it's it's been going on since time memorandum. So it must be a thing. That yeah, people- but even then it was a bit bloody dramatic. Do you know what I mean? Like, who decided that that was good? Surely, back in the in the fifteen hundreds, someone went, "What?" So, so this thirteen year old thought this other thirteen year old were dead, and went, "Oh, I'm just going to top myself," and didn't go. Do you know what? I might sleep on it first. It's oh, love, Dan. It's love. When I, when and I'm that was <laughs> get some toast. You know what I mean? I might toast something over an open fire because we don't have a toaster yet. That it was seems absolutely bloody ridiculous. And surely, you know. Are you telling me 100% of that crowd came out of that, that theatre going, well, that was absolutely outstanding and in no way overdramatic and wrong and stupid. And I reckon in 500 years, children at school will still be learning about it. You know, I'm, 
I still think, um, oh God, I haven't ever discussed this with you. I think Macbeth and Julius Caesar are absolutely fantastic. I'm quite a fan of Shakespearean sometimes. But uh, I'll always remember our teacher at school who looked like a badger, like Jack Black does now. Mm-hmm. Uh, Taylor, I think his name was. He was also the conductor of the local orchestra. He's very, very, very like fantastic in lots of ways. And it didn't speak like this. And he was like, so now, children, we're going to be doing Midsummer Night's Stream. And you know, I don't normally allow ribaldry in the class. It's a comedy, so I don't mind a bit of humour and a bit of laughing at the back. Shut up. Not once. Not a single laugh. But in the drama bit, they went, we want you to redo this scene here where the mechanicals meet Puck. So there's a lot of kids just going, here, Peter Quince. Here, I'm here, Peter Quince. And then I rolled out from under this table as Puck and started rapping the shit out of the Shakespeare going, you know, the thing about mechanicals is, yeah, I'm doing all like this. And Mr. Taylor spat out his tea going, no, no one does this with the bard. Shut up. Always really just stuck with me. So you don't like Shakespeare, I'm guessing, Dan. No, I, I've got no issue with it. But I got I got kicked off of a production of Macbeth. Uh, right. Oh, God, your kids are savage. Right. So, uh, but in year, what was fifth year? What's that? 11, 12, I did like fifth that. year. I didn't do the years. I did fifth year. So, right, so, so, so yeah, in, in, in fifth year, I did, I was Bugs and Malone. And um, I, I honestly, I can't tell you how much I enjoyed myself learning the lines and all the rest of it. I, it was the first time I was on stage properly and I absolutely adored it. And then the following year I was supposed to be in Macbeth. And, uh, but at this point, I, I just wanted to make my mates laugh at school. Oh. So I, I decided that Mrs. Leader, our music teacher, I pointy tits, you know, that's the way I worded it. I'm, I'm not proud of this by the way. So, so I thought it'd be hilarious if I stood up in the music class which was a side sidebar that she uh, that she was also teaching. If I stood up in the music class and asked her if she was wearing Madonna's pointy bra from the Vogue uh, video, what did she say? Uh, well, I I my ass didn't touch the floor. <laughs> she didn't give you an answer. She went, "How dare you?" And you know you and and, all, and and you know you're thinking you're gonna have you're gonna have your mates rolling in the aisles. Yeah. Even they went. Ooh. Oh shit! Yeah, you know, like when you say yeah. something pretty obnoxious and uh, 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 innocuous, and all your mates around you go, "Ooh!" And you're like, "Don't make it worse like that." You can't do no, no. He said it'd be funny, and uh, anyway, you were just meant I, to laugh, lads. Yeah, I was not in Macbeth that year. So that's I. I think there should be a collection of things that kids have said that their mates think is funny, that the teacher has got no fucking idea what they're talking about. <laughs> you know, it was like, do you know what? Like we used to call a lad at school the Bunyip. I don't know why. Nothing to do with his name. And it turned out that he reported it or something. And then we ended up having to say in front of a teacher what we called him. And some lad went, the Bunyip. And we lost our shit laughing. And the teacher was going, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> but likewise, it worked. Um, there was a lad, at, uh, we've completely lost the film. We'll come back to it. There was a bloke who was, uh, looking back, I don't know what his job was, kind of just did stuff with computers and just helped around with stuff, but wasn't a caretaker. And we all thought he looked just like Clive James. Right. No, no, uh, Clive Anderson. Clive Anderson. From so uh, looking, Whose Line Is It Anyway? Whose Line Is It Anyway? British, yeah, it should be known in America and stuff as well, people listening over there. Uh, Clive Anderson, and he used to have a thing called Yakety Yak. It, well, on his program, he'd go, Yakety Yak, don't talk back. Don't talk back. He'd go yeah. like that, and then it'd be him. Now, the thing is, he did look a bit like him, but he obviously wasn't Clive Anderson, right? And once he bollocked a load of people, and I went, huh, don't talk back, Clive. And he just went, what? I said, 
And you thought this will knock him, Bandy. I'll, I'll take him down a peg. The lads lost their shit. Like, oh, he just served Clive. And, he, and this bloke's going like, what are you? T- yakety yak. What are you talking about? <laughs> Do you know what? I it didn't exactly. Honestly, we'll get back to the movie after this one. Clive. We had one. We had one. She was a... Um, she was one of my, I took on, stayed on and did GMEQ in uh, leisure and tourism. And one of my teachers, Mrs. Edgar, she used to have this, this haircut, which was, I don't know how she did it. Even now I find it impressive the way it kind of sat around her hair, but kind of curled in towards her forehead and towards her cheek. Sounds and it bad. looked like she had some kind of helmet on. Right. right? Like a, it looked like her hair was like, she plopped it off like Darth Vader's helmet. Like, you know what I mean? Mm. And and so obviously you go through the the Ferrara nicknames like Helmet Head and and you know Crash Test Dummy and all this, and and, and one of them that made us all laugh in the playground was Ram Man, which was a character with a helmet on from, yeah, from He Man, right? Yeah. So so I got sent out inevitably from one of her because May shot you I was a bit of a knobhead, and Dick. um and she went get out and I went Soz Ram Man <laughs> and and again. Ooh, no, Ooh. stop it. Just yeah, laugh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and there's no there's not a single girl that's going, oh, do you know what I like to do? Get off with him now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm do you know what I'm adding to it. Fuck it. There was a teacher at our school, youngish, must in her twenties. And the bit I like, we was at a grammar school, so we were meant to be we passed eleven plus to go though, we we're meant to be intelligent. Uh, you know, we're the ones sticking like, you know, for, what do you call it? Uh, paper clips in water and plugs and switching them on. <laughs> we nearly killed ourselves. Um, every time I meet an electrician, I ask that question. I go, do you know what? I did this as a kid. And they were like, a geezer the other day, went, mate, you're fucking lucky to be alive. It's like, I could have yes. fucking thrown you through a fucking wall. You know what I mean? That's all you wanted. Yes. And I'm kind of going, yes, but also, oh my God, my yeah. daughter. <laughs> tell her, <laughs> tell her now. So there was this teacher who did chemistry and no one liked her because she used to set homework. You know, when you're like, how dare you set homework? You know what I mean? That's so we can go to university and have a proper life. Um, so, and I remember there was a couple of times that really got to me. One of them was she was doing something in one of those, um, I always forget the name, what they're called. You know, in chemistry, you have them cupboards, you had to put the chemicals in when they're mixing them. Maybe you didn't have that. Maybe it's because of the chemistry. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Business. And she she gone a bit wrong. And she went, oh, God, like that. She went, and it's all getting in her head, like Jekyll and Hyde. And she went to pass it. And someone went, my God, hold this. And someone went, fuck off. <laughs> Which was the first one. But then when she sort of come to after she chemically poisoned herself, she sent someone out to detention. And it's because she walked a bit funny. And like, do you know what? Hats off to this lad. Not because I'm mocking the disease, but the fact that he went with a Victorian disease. Went, fuck off, Ricketts. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Dan's just laughed so much that you can't hear him on the thing. And he got in really big trouble for that. <laughs> I'll leave the space, Dan. <laughs> Do you need to edit some laughter? <laughs> no, we can't edit laughter. Yeah, so oh. he'd already gone big on the fuck off because I'm not holding the chemicals. Really? And really? No one had ever called her that. It's just because she shuffled along a bit, bless her. She was only young. <laughs> I know, I know. Now you say one more word about Lisa here, and I'm going to break my foot off in your royal ass. We'll do any road. Maybe we'll do Ferris Bueller's Day Off, which I've not seen. We could talk about school days a bit more, not when we're talking yeah. about seminal kind of like. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I, yeah I was going to say, this one was a groundbreaking America. movie, wasn't it? 
Right. So basically, sister and Daryl look to the camera. That's the other person who looks to the camera. The sister says, yes. get out those wet clothes. He looks to the camera with his, uh, his Jericho. Uh, and then he says, I love you a lot. And then he's sowing his oats business. And then they're on a subway. I tell you what, I've been to New York once. Intend to go mm-hmm. again later this year, hopefully. And the subway's cleaned its act up a bit. Looks all right, shit all back then. Yeah, it's, it's still minging now. Have you not seen the floodings that they had last year? You used to have animals swimming around in it. I, I quite like that, though. <laughs> It was like it's like about four foot deep, and all the shutters don't open. It's not changed a lot since the eighties. Okay, so for those of you who are wondering why I'm not so affected by that, I come from a place called Skegness, which has got a place called Natureland, or otherwise the place that I call home of the sad seals. There are seals in there that basically need saving. So when you've got to look around that and these penguins that look like they're crying, it's quite nice to see a bit of animal life down by a subway at midnight. <laughs> Just having the best time. I will. What I will say about this film at the end is I knew. For the length of that fucking walk that she come down the aisle, that that was going to be that girl at the end when she lifted the veil up. Well, yeah, I, I, you know, it, it was one of those, um, you know, those, those grand reveals where you're like, well, of course it is. It would have been more shocking had it not been the other girl. Like, I wanted to be Arsenio Hall. Can you imagine with a bit of lipstick on, like the uh, like that gremlin in Gremlins too? With the <laughs> funny feelings about that, I must admit. I know my other officer said she used to get them about Robin Hood, the cartoon character from Disney about the fox. That's weird. Yeah, I chose to be with her as well. So, hi, love. Hope you're enjoying the podcast. But yeah, she fancies cartoon foxes. Um, so we're going to talk about. I got, I got, I got, I got. What Je- Jessica Rabbit though? She was a woman. Betty Rubble. She was a woman. Yeah. Robin Hood right. film is a fucking fox. Hang on, hang on. Let let me hit you with a big one then. That rabbit off the caramel advert. No, I did. I like that. It's a sexy book. rabbit. There's so many ways I can go with the word about rabbit being sexy and stuff, and I'm not going to, Dan, because we've already probably been cancelled after this one anyway. All I'm going to say is no soup for you. (laughs) And if you ever need any expertise on the Boston Celtics from around 2008, come and talk to me and Dan and our mate Kevin Garnett. Right, so we're going to bring to the end here this bit of this film. Overall, uh, I'll let you go first on this one. What did you think? And uh, what? Oh, you didn't like it? No, I didn't. It bored me to death. It was a romantic comedy. I, you know, it, I, I think that Murphy is outstanding in it. I think he's very good. It, it proves it proves his acting chops that he can do straight if he wants. But it's a romantic comedy. However, on on the other hand, the the multi the multi character stuff that Eddie does isn't awfully painful like it is in the Nutty Professor, where you can clearly tell it's the same geezer just talking to himself, like Mike Myers when he's Gold Member and Doctor Evil in the same room. Yeah, uh, you know, I think it's done really well that hairdresser scene, um, and it it was a a black cast doing a romantic comedy, and it went stratospheric. So you know, I, and I kind of want to give it its kudos. So for me, I'm you know, all right, I'm not a rom com fan, but I think it does it does a job. But it didn't need some of the humor that's in there. Either make it a comedy or a romantic comedy. It didn't need the vulgar bits in there, and so I I feel it's it's only a six for me. Five. That's high for you. Mm. A seven when I first watched it, and then I thought about it. Okay, five and a half. Five and a half. Because okay, I can't. This is the closest we've ever been on a movie. I think Alien we were close by a point, but half a point is is quite close. I mean, so wh- when you first watched it, what was it that that took it down for you? Um, it's just it's it was a bit like just like I say like Friends and the Simpsons, kind of like a all right, yeah, that's all right. Mm. Okay. I I often try and remove a bit of the historical significance to it because I'm watching them in 2023. 
you know? Yeah. So I can appreciate it and see where it might come from culturally or, you know, uh, you know, technically if it's a film that's got kind of sci-fi and shit going on, something like that. But I don't find that for me often adds a lot to it now because of when I'm watching it. Do you know what I mean? As we said with Norman, mm-hmm. watching mm-hmm. a little China and go bloody hell, all this. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm still watching a massive toad thing coming out of a tube, <laughs> you know? So, yeah. Um, yeah, I thought that. I thought the start, if it had stayed either one or the other, I could have accepted it more. I think yeah. it felt like yeah. it was a bit schizophrenic in terms of, mm-hmm. but not even equally schizophrenic, a bit like one fifth African body is your element. And mm-hmm. then it's just gone American loose knit where kind of men in uh, nightclubs clicking the fingers, looking at chicks kind of thing. So yeah. yeah, five and a half and it's lucky to get it. But also I, I always do with the ratings and I feel like there's a shark under the water, which is Robocop. And I can't remember what the fuck it's down to, but I always I think you've got it down to like two right now, mate. I think. All right. That's okay. I will listen back probably and make sure I've got a full ratings, but um, as always, uh, you can get in touch with us at uh, ynwtpod at gmail.com or through Linktree or through Instagram or through Twitter with at Y-N-W-T pod. Next time we will be taking on, hold on, I've got I've got to find the, the there's there's no problem with doing this on here, Dan, because it's uh, it's up to date and people do search for things sometimes. Uh, okay. I asked Normie about which film we should watch out of the next two, whether it was Kickboxer or Bloodsport. Okay. Because I think I told you to watch Kickboxer and be mm-hmm. then it was actually Bloodsport I was thinking of. So I said to Normie, uh, who is famously from our Big Trouble in Little China podcast, is Bloodsport more iconic than Kickboxer, would you say? And he put 10,000%. This is For those who remember Normie being on, and we will get him on again, this is such a Normie quote. Bloodsport is one of the best Western martial arts films ever. <laughs> I don't want to say anymore and sway your sway your feelings on it, if I'm honest. Yeah, so you watch Kickboxer? I've seen them both. I've seen them both. All right, so I think we'll aim towards Bloodsport and a bit of Jean-Claude Van Damme, who I've never seen a film of, ever. But Did you I, never watched a Street Fighter movie when you were like 12? Nah, mate. Um, but the only thing I've ever seen him in is those Cause Light adverts. Brilliant. Brilliant. He doesn't even do the splits in them just lost on me now and if you watch enough taskmaster it's now been replaced by a bloke swimming anyway um dan a pleasure anything you want to add on coming to america before you go and i need to live in america <laughs> that is the that is the song at the end by the way so i can see where you what? made that yeah living in america's in this movie oh is it right at the end yeah 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 oh shit i didn't watch all the way to it. i saw where they started showing the cast and i switched it off yeah yeah uh, but yeah, listen, I, I know, you know, I, I know we've chunted on, but I feel like uh, I feel like because this movie was so just bland by the end of it. And that's why mm. we've chucked in so many, you know, many things like that. But I, I tell you what, what I do want is more feedback. Do you want more chuntering of me and you sharing our life stories with the movie as the spine? Or do you actually want to learn about movies? I want to know. Let me know in your comments. Yeah, I think that's important because we will just go off on a tangent when we talk about rickets or gorillas making you sweat. Did, didn't Ricketts play for Bolton? Was it that was Michael, yeah. Uh, Michael Ricketts. Um, but so yeah, yeah. tell us what you like to hear more of, because we're kind of happy doing it either way, realistically. And remember, the royal penis is now clean. And we'll see you next time. See you.